You are the God in Revelation, Lord, who had eyes of fire, who looked at the state of the church. You looked with your piercing eyes, Lord, at the state of everyone's soul. That you can come, Lord, and give your gentle correction. To give, Lord, your stern rebuke, your faithful, kind commendation, Lord, to everyone according to their works, according to the thoughts, even the thoughts of our hearts. And I pray that you would come, touch your people, Lord, speak to us, Lord. We need to hear from you, and we need, Lord, to be touched by your presence, to be transformed. Help us, Lord, to know that we're here with a purpose today, to meet with the living God. We're here with a purpose to give to you our best worship, humble ourselves greatly, that God would speak to us what you have in mind today, Lord, for our edification, the glory of your holy name. Thank you, Lord. May you touch everyone in their spirits, their souls, and their bodies. In Jesus' mighty name. All of God's people who believe in God said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. I'd like you to turn to, maybe seated, the book of Haggai. The book of Haggai in the Old Testament, we know it's a minor, minor prophet. In the Old Testament. And it was a season in which the Lord called his people to arise, to arise and engage in the work of God. Very short book. Haggai chapter 1 and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation on August 29th of the second year of King Darius's reign the Lord gave a message through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel governor of Judah and to Joshua or Joshua son of Jehozadak the high priest. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. The people are saying, the time has not come yet. The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. The people are thinking one thing. As we often do, we have our own thoughts. We have our own perspective of what God is saying to us, or we think He's saying. We have our own understanding of what we should be doing, and what the whole purpose is for God giving us life, giving us a calling. And the people are persuaded. They really believed that now it's time to focus on other things. Too much of God and His temple and His kingdom is just too much. We need to have a balance. All of these thoughts the devil can bring. Let me live my life with God's favor, His blessing. But I don't want to be too religious, too much into God's kingdom and His work because it won't make me happy. These are the demonic thoughts that the devil can bring. 
Satan came into the camp of Israel. These remnant people that came back so graciously, drawn by God out of where? Captivity. And God gave them a job to do. And they had the privilege of putting their hand to the plow, not looking back. But they got distracted. And the devil came into their minds to tell them, you can draw back a little bit. After all, God knows what he's doing and his work will get done. And he doesn't really need me. And all of these thoughts can come and cause us to become slack in exactly what God wants us to do in his kingdom in the moment and the days in which he's placed us on the earth. We have to be focused on what purpose God has given us life today. For what purpose? There is a purpose for worship. There's a purpose to praying. There's a purpose to hearing God's word. What is that purpose? The purpose is to have our hearts exposed, examined by God, so that we can become drawn closer to God and transformed to be what God wants us to be. If I worship, if I pray, if I live in God's house, in His kingdom, but I don't have that understanding that every time I open the holy book, every time I utter a prayer to God, every time I'm in the presence of God, every time I worship or sing, if I'm not convinced and I'm not focused that God wants to do something for me, then the whole activity and intent will be in vain. God is looking for that diligence to come to His presence and say, Lord, when I pray, I'm expecting answers. Amen? When I pray, I'm expecting God to touch me. When I worship God, I'm expecting God to be honored, that He will be moved by my worship. God can be moved. His heart can be moved with joy, with a motivation to do more for us, with a determination to speed things up. God had His calendar for the temple rebuilding. He had His calendar. He told the people under Zerubbabel and Joshua, or Joshua, the governor and the high priest, start working. Because I have a time and a program where the rebuilding, after I ordered Cyrus to let the people go back, there's a schedule in which I want things to be done. The people started because they were greatly encouraged by Zerubbabel, by the Spirit of God speaking to the prophets. Then all of a sudden they got discouraged. They got distracted. And this is a problem in the lives of God's people. That the purpose for which I'm praying the very purpose for which I'm worshiping, the purpose for which I'm reading God's word, there's got to be a dividend coming back to me. That's God's heart. Didn't he say, I will bless my people? What does that mean? Is it a feeling? Is it just a feeling that I have been in God's presence and I read the word, I'm making progress from chapter to chapter, or is there something that God has conveyed to me and given to me that is building up my soul to be more faithful to Him. Every time God gives us an encounter, 
is to build up our souls to become more like Jesus Christ. The people started building and they stopped. God is mercy. He came with a word to encourage them. And so during the reign of this Darius, this Persian king, Haggai was called upon God. Verse 2, this is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. The people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses? While my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, you worked a lot. But harvest little. You eat but are not satisfied. You drink but are still thirsty. You put on clothes but cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. What an indictment and what a telling expose of the state of his people who thought everything's fine because you know what? We've come back to the land. There's a temple that has begun to be rebuilt. But now we're okay because after all we're still in the kingdom. We're still in God's presence and seeing his work even though it's come to a halt. We are going to take care of number one right now. Who's that? Me. My house, my things, my career, my bank account, my relationships. And God is just going to be a person that will touch and sprinkle blessings when I need them along the way. There's a complete departure from the blessing of Almighty God. He said, you're working, you're laboring, you're planting, but everything looks like there are holes in your pocket. You know what this is a parallel of? Our spiritual life also. They had it physically, literally happen, and spiritually. Somebody this morning, maybe saying, or this afternoon, you know, I just had a raise on my job. I just got this unexpected gift from somewhere. I just paid my debts off. Things are going pretty good. External prosperity without God's touch on our souls is vanity, emptiness, and will lead to complete self-deception. But when I look at the state of my soul, and I say I can see that God is well pleased with me, now when things are going well externally, I can truly say, this is God's blessing. And He's blessed me from the inside out. Christians can get distracted. We can also get discouraged if we allow the enemy to do that to us. The people slacked off. They did get discouraged because just like in the time of Ezra, Nehemiah, the people that were already there in the Jewish homeland, 
were enemies of God. They stood up every time something was going on to oppose, to resist, to discourage, and to threaten also. They tried everything they could typifying the devil in our lives to discourage us, to distract us, and then make us delay what God wants us to do. We have to be watching and praying and saying, Lord, with all that I do every day and all my planning for the week and for the month and for the future, am I doing what you gave me to do? Because if I do everything else and neglect what God told me to do, God says it will all come to nothing and ruin your spiritual life. So it takes us to really believe that I'm a believer, a Christian. God has given me a job to do in His kingdom. To watch and pray and to build His kingdom. Which is what? Reaching out not only for souls out there, but edifying the body of Christ where I am. Imagine this. People come to church, and they come to meetings, and everybody's for himself or herself. The only common element they have is they're coming together in a gathering at a certain location to worship the same God. But that integral part that I have to play in the building of God's temple, the house of God, I can lose my identity altogether if I'm not keen on that. I have to say, Lord, you've given me breath today. To build your kingdom. To glorify you. That's where the blessing's at. When I labor with the blessing of God and the commandment of God. Let's continue to read here. Haggai went to people who were lukewarm. They were comfortable. And they looked at their houses and they said, look at this, isn't it beautiful? I have the best wood Look at that decoration over there. It's so wonderful, but they forgot who gave it to them. And they did it at the wrong time. There's a timing when God says, if you do this, my hand will bless your soul along with the external blessing. But if you do it at the wrong time, the whole thing will flip on you. This all necessitates that we are in line with God's spirit. Somebody's got to be able to hear God's voice. Otherwise, we'll be like the little school children who you let them out into the schoolyard or into the gym. They have no direction. They will do whatever they want until somebody hears what the order is. Maybe it's the teacher to the class leader, to some child that has the alertness that I'm here under authority to do this activity at a certain way, in a certain way, at a certain time, exactly as I'm told to do it. We're not called to be independent, but ever dependent upon the wisdom that comes from God. We live our lives following God's commandments, then we're truly blessed. Haggai went with an unpopular message. He said, everything you're doing is in vain. Imagine hearing that. But we're building. Look, we're blessed. We're together. God says, if you're not doing what I told you to do, when I told you to do it, the way I told you, 
I'm not part of it. Even if it looks to be a blessing. This is what the Lord of Heaven's armies says. Look at what's happening to you. Now, go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Then I will take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. He not only comes to tell them that what you're doing is not right, it's the wrong time, your focus is off. Now, get back to work. Get back to what God called you to do. Feed your souls. Spend time in God's presence. Find out what He wants you to do. Not what you think He wants you to do, but what He said for you to do. He will speak to you if you want to hear. So the prophet comes and thankfully the people gave an audience and they were convicted. Instead of stoning Haggai this time, they actually listened. But notice how God's approach is here. He comes to expose what's wrong, what's all focus. And then very quickly he gives this prescription for the deliverance from that lethargy. He says, go up to the hills. Get that wood, get those trees, get that timber. Come back and start building again. What a good God we have. He doesn't come just to say, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. But he immediately says, how to make it right. Hallelujah. God is such a good God. We hear what God says. And we look at our lives. Do you know on any given day, any given day, I can reprioritize where I have the wrong things up on the top of the list and the right things at the bottom. As believers who are aware that I should be doing God's will, I should be living for God. I need to go back and say, Father, am I doing things that are pleasing to you? Am I on your program, on your schedule? Or did I get like the people of Israel over here, the people of Judah, and start assuming, well, I guess it's okay if I slack off a little bit. After all, I did a lot of work yesterday. A lot of evangelism the other day. I read so much of the Bible one day. Isn't that enough to store up? I think I can slack off a little bit today. Or... That's exactly the enemy's delusion and malice that comes in. God says, come to me every day, every day, to find out what I want you to do. God has the divine prerogative. He has the authority in our lives to change the schedule anytime He wishes. Because He doesn't do things randomly. But He does check to see whether we are flexible in being open to the Spirit of God and understanding God's will to determine that, Lord, I don't ever, ever, ever want to deviate from your path. Even one degree, Lord. So help me, God. I can't afford to do that. I don't want to do that because that means futility. Holes in my pocket. Being enamored with things that I shouldn't let my heart get on. And so the backsliding happens. God quickly said, come back. This is a picture not just of physical or financial loss, but of spiritual dearth. There's a famine in their souls. They're actually weak. They're being defeated. 
Now, in the Old Testament, you don't have presence of demons necessarily God showing behind the scenes to everybody. But it's the devil that makes the person to get discouraged. To say, I'm no use. I can't do this. After all, look at all I've done for God, or all I've tried to do. I still feel empty. So the enemy brings that and says, what's the use? So he can pull out that rug from under us, and make us fall, and hopefully keep us fallen. It's the enemy that comes to distract, and says, you're not discouraged. But now, why don't you take care of this first? By and by, we lose our focus on the living God. And the temple is not rebuilt. The church is not edified. My soul is not truly blessed by God. I've lost His blessing at that, at that point. But if I refocus and say, God said, go up to the hill. Get the wood, get the timber and start building again. Isn't that gracious of God? He doesn't say you have failed like a bad teacher in school. You failed one test or you're a failure and that's it. I'm going to stigmatize you and characterize you as a failure. No. A good teacher, an honest and fair teacher will say, you might have failed this time, but you don't have to again. In fact, let me show you the keys and give you the tools for success. This is exactly how the ultimate teacher God is. But the student who says, I'm choosing to believe what I feel, even though you're telling me nice things, I don't believe it, will remain a failure and a disgrace to himself or herself, the family, to the school. Why? Was it the, was it the intention of the teacher or the principal? No. God wants every single person to build God's kingdom. Every single person. It starts by having a soul to soul or spirit to spirit talk with God. We're going to see three things that we must not do or allow the devil to make us do. And three things that we are called to do as a remedy to be right on point with God and be excited that I have a part in building the kingdom of God. I have a part. And look, God is accepting what I'm doing. Isn't that a thrill? That the God of the universe who made the cosmos, the planets and everything, He could just wish in a second, in a nanosecond, house be built and it'll be built. My house, the temple, be rebuilt, it'll be rebuilt. And then call all the Israelites, Judah, to see what He has done. He doesn't do that. He has created us in His image. He has put His image within us to co-labor with Him. I can't afford to miss that golden opportunity to be available to God, to be clean, consecrated, and then gather my heart together, unite my heart to fear His name, and put my hand to the work, and believe God's making something big, great, glorious out of this. I have to believe. Haggai came to expose the problem, and then immediately encouraged them now. God is for you. And we're going to see in these two short chapters how many times God is telling them, I'm with you. You failed. But I love you and I'm going to use you still. Don't give up. Hallelujah. Haggai chapter 1. This governor heard 
the message. The high priest Joshua heard the message. All the people heard. They were convicted. They said, this is wrong. Our priorities got mixed up. My family, their priorities may be mixed up. Am I seeking God every day? Is family prayer a priority? Or is it just my own thing that I want to do, seek God, and if we get together, we'll do it? No, it has to be something that is burning within me. The life, the success, the blessing of my family, as well as my own soul, depends upon me. Coming to God, spending time with Him, to acknowledge that He is the one who's keeping our family together, giving us food on our table, giving us clothing, the paycheck, everything. When I come to the Lord and humble myself and say, Lord, I'm giving you glory. He will tell me what I'm supposed to be doing. The next step in building His kingdom. This is what the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of heaven's army says. Now go up into the hills, bring down timber, and rebuild my house. Somebody says, you know, God is so high, He's so lofty, He doesn't care about wood. He doesn't care about the way the structure is. He just wants to, uh, just a tabernacle so we can gather. After all, aren't the people the main thing? There's a misunderstanding there, as we know if we read the word. God is so minutely concerned about every single detail because it reflects on who He is. God takes pride in a good way. These are my people. These are my children. This is my house. Everything is going to be glorious. Everything has to be perfect. How? Because my hand is with my people to do the work. God doesn't put the responsibility and say, you do your best and hopefully it will line up to what I expect. I'll come back and check on you. He's there while we're working. Hallelujah. Whatever He calls us to do, He said, my hand will be like that hand over hand in a child when you teach them handwriting or some skill, hand over hand. The mother or the teacher over their little hand to direct it, to bless that work. This is how God is. He's full of love, full of mercy, full of purpose. This is what He says. Then I will take pleasure in what you do and I will be honored. God will be honored. You hoped for rich harvests, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins. You know where the kingdom of God starts when it concerns us, each of us? Our hearts. It starts with our own hearts. That I'm feeding my soul what it requires not only to breathe, but to flourish to be an able what? Soldier available to be part of the building of God's kingdom. I have to make sure I feed myself adequately, not just I threw something in my mouth because I have to go out and work and need some energy. No, I want to get everything that God has for me to strengthen me. So when I do the work, nothing will be diminished. It will be exactly as He wants it. The kingdom of God starts with my heart. As I feed my soul with that manna, God's Word. And I spend time in God's presence and drink of His Spirit through prayer and worship. I will become a person, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the Word of Truth. God can count on me. I want 
that worker, have you ever seen somebody on a job, or even in school, or in a family, there's a task that needs to be done. And immediately you know who will not get picked and who will get picked for that task. Why? Not because the person is prejudiced, but often it's because the person knows the capacity and the diligence of the individual that they pick for the job. God is the same way. His house has to be perfect because He's a perfect God. And He will call people who have what? Perfect hearts. Which means blameless. Which means giving due diligence to feeding my soul. Praying, worshiping God. And then saying, Lord, I'm available. Consecration is a requirement to have my hand in the building of God's kingdom. Without that, God will not choose us. We can try to force ourselves into God's work, but God will say, can't do it. When I come to God, He will show me my true state, and then He'll tell me how to fix it. Isn't it horrible? As much as we say, isn't it wonderful that we can be exactly in the perfect will of God? How horrific to live a life and at the end of it say, I tried many things to please God and read the Bible and do ministry and be part of church but I feel a lack at the end of one's life what a horrible thing to think and to be haunted by but you know what God says it doesn't have to be that way go up to the hill get the timber I care about every part of my house build and I'll be with you consecration is a given God says, you have to be consecrated. But have faith and be diligent, don't be lazy. God is looking for workers in His kingdom all the time. Isn't He the one that says, look out and look at the harvest. They are literally white. They're ripe. But the people that I'm looking to call upon to do the work, I can hardly find people qualified, God says. There's a great misunderstanding, lie that circulates among God's people. God doesn't call the qualified. Look at the Bible. Moses was qualified. Somebody says, how's that? I thought he couldn't speak. He lost his identity. He didn't want to go. He was afraid. You know what he had? The more he heard God speak to him, he began to believe. And even before that, he was a man who did not live for this world or for his own comfort. That happened. God had a track record on him. He saw him way back in Egypt, 40 years prior to calling him to deliver the people of Israel. He saw this is a man that cannot be bought by riches or pleasure. He feared God. But he needed to be trained, yes. But the minimum qualification is total surrender to God, saying, Lord, I'm not going to live for money anymore. My own name, pleasure, whatever pleasure I can get in my body, in my mind, I'm dead to those things. Whatever God wants to give me in those areas, in God's time, I'm utterly abandoned to that and satisfied. I'm satisfied because I know my Father would give me what I need at the right time the right measure. You see, it takes faith. Moses was qualified. Abraham was qualified. How? 
God says, I know him. In other words, saying, I can trust Abraham. Not only will he do what I say, he'll also pass that same fear of God to Isaac and to his grandsons to a generation. There's a qualification. God doesn't say, gather anybody on the street to come build the kingdom. He says, go out into the highways and byways to bring people to do what? To be part of the kingdom. But to work, you have to be qualified. We have to have the fear of God. We have to say, Lord, you're the boss, not me. If you tell me today, change your schedule, only the one who really loves God will say, Lord, I'm happy that you changed my schedule. My heart may have been, even in ministry, to do this and I'm preparing for it. But at the last moment, God could say, I want you to change the plan right now. You know when you know that you are qualified? When you're really in the center of God's will, your heart is right. When you can jump up with joy and say, Father, so be it. Because I know your will is perfect. And I'm looking forward to the harvest that you have at the end of today. It's a simple life. It's not complicated. To just listen to God, spend time in His presence, and say, Father, Sunday through Saturday, not just gloss over the week or the month, but every day I want to make sure my priorities are correct before you. God will give us that assistance that we need to make sure that's so. He comes and tells them, when you brought your harvest home, we're in Haggai chapter 1 verse 9, I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins. The house symbolizes God's kingdom, God's house, spiritually. People are not fed. Do you know that through you, somebody can hear the truth in your family and sober up and say, my God, nobody told me that I'm in deep trouble with God. Everybody patted me on the back and said, well, you love God and you're a Christian and you go to church. And, but you might be the one to tell them, this is what God requires. He wants us to be holy. Have you ever considered, if you're, is your life holy? God can use you to build His kingdom like that. To warn somebody. And to encourage somebody who are, who's discouraged. To say, don't let the devil lie to you that you're useless. Start doing what God told you to do. And you'll see, God is for you, not against you. But if I withhold that, and I'm thinking about me all the time, I cannot be a faithful soldier, a faithful work person, workman in God's house. Everyone has that part to be alert. Lord, not only who do you want me to encourage today, who do you want me to warn today? People want the first part, but not the next, the second part. Both are part of God's truth. Both are instrumental in saving people's souls, reconnecting them to God, and to see the furtherance of His kingdom. He says, in Haggai chapter 1 and verse 9. Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven's armies, while all of you are busy building your own fine houses. It is because of you that the heavens withhold the dew and the earth produces no crops. Anytime there's a disconnect between my soul and God's spirit, things are bound to go wrong. God himself will step in and do what a good parent will do. Give that little spanking. 
because we got to learn that lesson. I cannot do without my mom and dad guiding me, teaching me, training me, protecting me because they seek my welfare. If things succeed when the child is rebellious and the parent doesn't intervene, that parent is actually giving a prescription or destruction for that child. If the child thinks that I'm okay and gives reasons why they think they're flourishing, we've got to tell the truth. If you're not obedient to God and to the parents, you're not in good standing with God. And things will fall. God is the good parent. He said, I called for a drought on your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grain and grapes and olive trees and all your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Who would ever hear such a message from God on the Sunday when we come to get encouraged? God does encourage but he has to give us the truth about our priorities, about why certain things don't work out in our lives. God says, I'm responsible. Somebody says, but if God is a good God, why would he? We know why. Because he cares. He wants us to know life apart from him is death. That unless we are obedient to him, he cannot bless us. And he says, I will actually work things against you. Have you ever had that in your life? You got saved. You started learning about God's word. But then in certain areas of your lives, you decided to take liberty. And decide, I'll do it this way. And then you see the repercussions and the result. And through, through that wilderness of disobedience, God still calls from that tabernacle. Come back to me. He, he's willing to retrain us. He's willing to retrain us. In the secular job, in the workforce, a good boss, a good employer, will not just discard people who are not doing the job right the first instance. They will think about the resourceful value of that human being. How much he or she has already invested into them what the goals of the organization are, and then try to do what? Redirect and retrain that person to be productive. In the human sense, the human employer will be at a loss if he just discards people who don't perform right the first time. In God's economy, because He's Almighty God, He doesn't need any of us. He can actually discard any of us and start over with somebody else. But because He is a gracious and compassionate God, He wants us not to miss out. He wants us to be part of His family, part of His kingdom, to bless us in the work and to have us have a share in the reward. He's got all of this out of His magnanimous heart. He doesn't want us to miss out. We need to be alert to that. God doesn't have to retrain me. He doesn't have to speak to me again. But He does. Now I'm going to be a wise child and say, Lord, you've spoken on this issue in my life. Listen to this. You've spoken to me about this particular issue or this particular sin or this particular thing that I'm not doing right by you. It's been 10 times, Lord, I've been counting. 
You spoke to me over and over various ways, but I haven't listened. But now, as I'm hearing about Haggai and the people of God, I see that you don't need me at all. You don't need to do anything for me. But you do it, Lord. I'm not going to be foolish and dismiss your love. I'm going to run to get things right as soon as possible to get back into the Father's house like a prodigal. Don't delay. God is saying, I'm responsible for things going haywire in your life when you didn't listen to my priorities. Verse 12, chapter 1. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of God's people began to obey the message of God, the message from the Lord their God. They determined, we're not going to let this go. We have stopped building, and it's been a while. Thank God, God didn't say, I'm going to remove you and bring more people from Persia, from Babylon, from my house. I'm going to pick other people. God says, see to it that no man gets your crown. I have a part in the kingdom of God. And I have to be qualified, which is consecration. And I'm not going to lose my reward. God is encouraging the people. Come back. And they obeyed. Unlike many, many times in Israel's history and Judah's history. If you read Jeremiah, the Chronicles, Isaiah, you see time and time again, God speaks, they disobey. This is one of the few occasions when you look at the overall picture of the relationship of Judah and Israel with God. This is one occasion in which the people listened and God began to bless then Haggai, before that it says this, When they heard the words of the prophet Haggai, whom the Lord their God had sent, the people feared the Lord. To fear the Lord. There's an element missing today in the Christian community. It's the fear of the Lord. It's not understanding that He is so mighty and awesome. If you think for a moment, Something that you have witnessed or seen that just blew your mind away. This is so awesome. Somebody may look at the heavens and think about the sun. How is it that it is so far away, millions of miles away, and we can still feel the heat? How would it be to be close to the sun? The millions of degrees of heat that is coming through millions of miles Psalm 19, it says, God says this, nothing is hidden from the heat of the sun. He has placed the sun in a tabernacle in the heavens. He put it there, that huge orb of incredible power and light and heat. He made it and He put it in a certain place and is able to give light and heat to the farthest reaches of the universe. How? We look at it and we think this is Totally mind-blowing. This is awesome. I would hate to be near the sun. Something that is beyond us. We may look at a, an aquarium or maybe scuba diving. Somebody scuba dives. And be privileged to see a huge sea creature. Up close. You may be swimming. And all of a sudden you see a huge 
thing moving like this. And you think, this has got to be some creature. And as you swim away from it, you notice that it's just the eye of the creature. And all the more further you get away, you see the thing is bigger than you ever imagined. If you've been in the museums, you'll see replicas of whales, maybe from this end to the other end. And creatures bigger than that. As human beings, we look at these things that God created and think, this is awesome, look how big that thing is. Look at the power and the force of that beast in the jungle. Look at the speed with which light goes. Things, as David says, too wonderful for me. We're in awe of that. We're in awe when we see a volcano erupt. People are powerless virtually, if they're too close to it. We're in awe of an earthquake. During the 80s in California when they had the baseball game, what happened? People just were completely arrested. They saw some force that was beyond baseball, beyond a pastime, beyond them being able to get into the car and drive home. Nothing could stop this force, this earthquake. We think about awesome things, the power of nature, tornadoes and all these things. God is bigger and more powerful than those things. How we should be in awe of Him and have the fear of God. God is able to act. And you know what God said to the Israelites? You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Two things about that. Not just that you've seen my might and power. But you've seen my capability of how I react to people who defy me. Make no mistake about that. Just like Psalm 19. With the heavens declaring the glory of God. Exodus 19. God coming down with a trumpet blast and the black clouds. And God says, so my fear may be upon you. When somebody fears, they begin to move. But when a person is stubborn, they're self-righteous. And they say, well, I know what God said. And I know what to do, when to do it. And they won't budge. They have no fear of God. Even if they sing to God and praise and everything. How do you know you have a fear of God? When God says to do something, you go do it. That's how you know you have a fear of God. Bottom line. God is saying to the people, I've come to cause things to fail so that you can return to me and save yourself. You can get back to the work of God. You can be back in my program the way I intended you to be. God is speaking to our hearts so we can let our hearts be sifted and see whether we are in the perfect will of God today in the coming week. Say, Lord, every day I've got to know what it is you want me to do. And I want to accomplish that. Nothing more, nothing less. God says through Haggai. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the people this message after the rebuke, after the chastening, after the exposure of their hearts and their states, of their spirits. He says, I'm with you, says the Lord. Woe to the preacher. Woe to the Christian that ever picks and chooses what he or she wants to hear in the Bible. And always goes after the stuff that makes them feel good. And I want to be encouraged today. And forget that before the encouragement, God has to discourage evil in our lives. Because the two cannot mix. We have to get the leaven out, consecrate ourselves. And then all the blessings like showers will fall upon us. will be truly fulfilled. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm 
Haggai chapter 1 verse 14. Of Zerubbabel. What we're reading today in Haggai is a mirror of our experience with God. To know, have I slacked off in what God told me to do? It's never a good thing. And say I'm going to redirect or be redirected by God today. Even today. To go and spend time with God. We're going to see in detail three things as I said not to do. That they did and they failed. And then when they were brought back, three things to say, Lord, I'm going to continue this in my life. So the Lord sparked the enthusiasm of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the enthusiasm of Jeshua, son of Jazadak, the high priest, and the enthusiasm of the whole remnant of God's people. Somebody says, can God actually move people to do something? Don't we have free wills? Don't we have to make decisions? Yes. But the love and grace and power of God is such that the moment I give an audience to God's word, the very word that I hear has built in within it grace enough to spark or move me and make me enthusiastic one more time to do God's will. What a tremendous help from God. It's not just a code like in other religions. Things I have to do and not do. No. As the word comes, God gives grace to mobilize me if I don't resist. If I say, Lord, I want to go in that direction. I want to be happy. I want to be enthusiastic about your work. I want to be faithful to you, Lord. I want to be someone you can count on, Lord, to do anything you want me to do when you're looking for workers. To build your kingdom. The whole remnant of God's people all of a sudden got energized. Not just physically. Began in the heart, in their minds. We've got to do this. Forget about everything else. We have to build God's kingdom right now. They began to work on the house of, the, of their God, the Lord of Heaven's armies, on September 21st of the second year of King Darius's reign. So August and then September. It took some days. But as they took in God's word and they didn't resist they didn't proclaim their self-righteousness. Something happened. The enthusiasm came. It began to work. And what happens after this? Haggai chapter 2. Only two chapters. In this minor prophet book. Then on October 17th. Notice God's calendar. Of that same year, the Lord sent another message. Through the prophet Haggai. I trust that the Lord is speaking to your hearts. That you know that God is in charge, not you, not me. God has a plan and He has a schedule. We don't want to miss the schedule. When the message of God came on October 17th, through the same prophet, God says, Say to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Jeshua, son of Jazadai, the high priest, and to the remnant of God's people, there in the land, does anyone remember this house, this temple, in its former splendor? When Solomon built that temple, there was great glory, celebration, but it stood as a magnificent, beautiful display of God's handiwork through the people. We never build independently. God is there to help us build and He works through us. For it is God who works in you 
both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God's hand is all over his people. His spirit is very active in our lives. If we have ears to hear and say, Lord, I'm going with you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. No one's going to discourage me. No one's going to distract me. And I will not delay anymore to do what God told me to do. God says, compare now. You see this? You start a building. He's coming to encourage them. The glory of what you're building now is going to outshine what you remember. Those who are old enough to remember among the exiles. Tremendous glory of Solomon's temple. He said, you're starting out. It looks very inadequate to qualify as a temple. But I promise you, the glory of this is going to outweigh the glory of that. God says, I'm involved. And when you put your hand to the plow, don't look back, don't get discouraged, don't get distracted, don't delay to do what I told you to do. God says, I will make what you do through your hands, through my power working, through your body, through your mind, through your imagination, through your planning. My hand will be all over it so that it will be glorious more than you can ever ask or imagine. Hallelujah. God promises that if we will be faithful to listen to Him. He says, do you remember how it looked the first time? How in comparison does it look to you now? It must seem like nothing at all. But now the Lord says, be strong, Zerubbabel. He's telling the leader. Telling the leader. You be strong, just like to Joshua. You get right with me. Refocus on me. My fear will be upon you. And through you it's going to go to the people. You're all going to work together to build my kingdom. Be strong also to the high priest, Jeshua, son of Jezahazadek. Obviously, the governor and the high priest, even the people in charge, began to get what? Discouraged, distracted, ended up delaying what God told them to do. God comes right from the top down, telling them, be strong, don't get discouraged anymore. He says, be strong, all of you people still left in the land. And now, get to work. For I am with you, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you, just as I promised when you came out of where? Hundreds of years earlier, from Egypt. He said, I'm the same God. I'm the same God. I do not change. You can count on me when I tell you that it's going to be glorious. When you cooperate with me and obey me, it's going to happen just as I said. Be strong. Expect. Be faithful. Believe. So do not be afraid. Remember, it was not just the enormity of the task that we're just starting with one piece of wood. All we have is part of the foundation or that's all we have. And the rest is going to take so much more. It wasn't fear of the enormity of the task alone. Remember, they had enemies in the land. People that were there to oppose them. They had a mixed multitude. They had Assyrians that were planted right there. Samaritans. We'll see it more pronounced in Ezra and Nehemiah. They kept coming and saying, Ha ha! Even if you build a wall, a fox just touches the wall, it's going to fall. What are these Jews up to now? They are useless. 
What are they trying to accomplish? And then they said, look, if you don't stop building, you don't want to be discouraged, right? Or you're not getting discouraged? We're going to threaten you. We're going to make you stop by being afraid. We're going to gather and literally, Sanballat the Harnite had an army with him. And he told Nehemiah and the people, in that situation, we're going to kill you. Nehemiah said, I'm going to take a sword, and I'm going to build with one hand. He armed everybody and told them, don't be afraid of these people. Our God will fight for us. You fight for yourself and your families. That's what Nehemiah said. Fight for yourself and your families. And continue to build the work of God. There's an element of courage that must be there in the Christian. To say, am I a coward? Or am I a courageous person? Which one does God want me to be? Have I made up my mind that whatever God says for me to do, I'm going to step forward and begin to do what He says for me to do. He will be with me, He promised, and He will prosper the work. Nobody can stop this. So God says, don't be afraid. Verse 6, For this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says, In just a little while, I will again shake the heavens. I will shake the earth. I will shake the oceans. I will shake the dry land. I will shake all the nations. He said, I will shake everything that can be shaken, just like in Hebrews. Why? Because to stand the test of God, a person must be linked to God, in fearing God, obeying Him, walking with Him. If I'm like the world, scattered everywhere, and calling on God when I have an emergency, I will be shaken on that day. I'll disappear into judgment. That's God's word. But if I say, God, you're such a good father. The fact that I'm breathing today, I don't deserve this, Lord. I have turned on you so many times when you did good for me. I made promises, I broke. Oh God, I recognize today, I'm here by your grace and your mercy. And you still call me to be in your family and to be part of your laborers in your kingdom. And you want to reward me. This is... Almost too good to be true. But I know you tell the truth, Lord. And I'm going to be enthusiastic, courageous, and diligent to do what you told me to do. For this is what God says, I'm going to shake everything. I will be brought to this temple. This second temple that was built was further glorified and extended by Herod the Great. And then... From Galilee came God Himself. Jesus entered into the temple. He came. John chapter 5, we see the healings that happened. Then how the man that was healed went back to the temple. There's a reconnection of the people. The whole purpose of the temple is to bring people whose hearts have been purified. To offer pure worship and obedience to God. And to build God's kingdom. He says, I'm going to come back to the temple. You think about it for a moment. What I'm building with my hands, God says, I will grace that place with my presence. When it comes to the altars that God had Abraham built and different people built, He said, make sure that no human being climbs up on the steps of stones that are what? Made by hands. Because it's holy, it's been hallowed. And yet God came to those very places. 
He came and appeared where altars were built all over the land. But then he made a temple where he said, my name is going to be recorded there. Where my name is recorded, when you come to that place in the right way and offer sacrifices, God says, I will bless you. God's heart is to bless his people. And so Haggai is greatly encouraged. He goes with enthusiasm in the spirit of God to talk to the governor and to the high priest and to all the people. Don't give up. God is with you. He wants you to prosper. He will work through you. Do you want to pardon God's kingdom? Let's get to work. God does not have even one, not even one person in His kingdom who is called to be a spectator. Just like spectacles, somebody who just sees, observes. Every person in the kingdom of God is a soldier by default the moment he or she gets born again. Soldier needs training. Every person in the kingdom of God by default becomes a laborer or a workman or workwoman in God's kingdom. By default. The person who does not work, the person who is not vigilant, does not watch and pray and fight for God's truth, the person that says, I'm going to sit by and be a spectator and observe all the things that are happening and I'll continue doing what? Build my own house. God warns them, when I shake everything, that person will be blown away. But the person who recognizes God has called me to do something in this kingdom. There's a role for me to fulfill. I'm going to consecrate myself to that. I'm going to be diligent. God says, come, I will bless you. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. Previous to that, He says, my glory will fill the temple. When Jesus came, He fulfilled it. The future glory of His temple will be greater than its past glory. It's a parallel to the church. All of the revivals you can ever have read of, read of or imagined. Even in biblical times. Even in recent times, the Azusa Street Revival, the Hebrides Revival, the Congo Revival, the Revival in Wales, the Welsh Revival, the Revival in India, China. All of the revivals, we see God coming and people weeping who had nothing to do with God. They wept because they had mistresses. They were in adulterous relationships going to church and even having offices in the church. When revival happened, they got convicted and they completely repented with tears. People who are greedy in the church, who are there for position and to look good in front of people. They were cut to the heart when the Spirit of God spoke in these revivals, Manchurian revival. Revivals all through the land. In Italy, in the Middle Ages, all different times. God always has a remnant, always has some prophet that would speak even if they are considered the minority to bring people back who wanted to come back. But this is the parallel from Haggai to the church from what we read about the temple rebuilding. That is, the glory of the church in these latter days will be far greater than any revival we've ever seen in the past. Amen? That's God's truth. If that's the case, although I may hear and read of revivals of the past, I have to say, God is about to do something much greater in His church in the upcoming days. Not only do I not want to miss it, I want to have a part of working in that revival. God, can you count on me 
to be faithful to you that when you need somebody to speak and your spirit's going to come down mightily upon somebody that you're going to handpick, let it be me, Lord. Not so I can be famous, but so that your kingdom work can continue and people can come back to you. The greatest revival is truly on the horizon, but we have to be ready and know that God is looking for qualified people people who are consecrated to Him, who have their genuine fear of God, who have been been done, as they say, with the pleasures of this life, the money that I can get in this world, or the riches, the property, and the fame, my own name. Moses put that to death when he's about 40 years old. God says, now I can train you. There's a minimum qualification. When you look at a job application, even if it says, anybody can come. You don't have to know any skills for the job. We will train you. But there's a minimum qualification. How do we know that? Even if they put in big letters, anybody can apply. We need more people. You can't have a five-year-old show up over there. You said, anybody. And you said, you're willing to train me. I'm willing to listen but you barely know the alphabet. We have to be prepared to know the minimum qualification is consecration of holiness. If I've got that, which equals the fear of God, God can do a lot with me and you. God comes to these people. He says, all the silver is mine and the gold, says the Lord of God's heaven's armies. The future glory of this temple will be greater than its past glory, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. And in this place I will bring peace. I, the Lord of Heaven's armies, have spoken. On December 18th of the second year of King Darius' reign. Look how detailed God's word, the real Holy Bible is. The real word of God. It's not fairy tales, allegories, just parables some maxims or sayings to teach us to live life with a good philosophy, to be good citizens, like some Confucian philosophy. This is God's hand in human history. Day by day, month by month, year by year. God is gathering His elect all the time. And He's pushing on what? The chaff. That necessitates that I perk up my ears spiritually and say, Lord, I'm not going to miss your plan. I'm going to be diligent. He says, the old temple had a lot of gold in it. It was spectacular. You don't have all that stuff necessarily the way you had it in the book of Exodus. But I've been supplying and I will supply. I'm in control of this project. This building project of my temple of my kingdom, I'm supervising it. I will personally make sure it's more glorious than the other one. And I will come to this place one more time. We are anticipating God doing great mighty things. But the question for you and me is, do I have a part in it? Or will I be blown away as somebody unqualified? Fearful thing. We can understand just how awesome this is. How alert we have to be not to miss this. After he says, all of that gold is mine, silver is mine. On December 18th, we're in verse 10, chapter 2, Haggai. 
of the second year of King Darius, way in Persia, way back there in Persia, the Lord sent this message to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Ask the priest this question about the law. If one of you is carrying some meat from a holy sacrifice in his robes and his robe happens to brush against some bread or stew, wine or olive oil or any other kind of food, will it also become holy? The priest replied, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone becomes ceremonially unclean by touching a dead person and then touches any of these foods, will the food be defiled? And the priest answered, yes. And Haggai responded, that is how it is with this people and this nation. And everything, says the Lord, everything they do, everything they offer is defiled by their sin. Daniel prayed, a man who is holy and righteous, he prayed with all his heart, he said, oh God, confusion of faith belongs to me and to your people. We and our fathers have sinned against you, Lord. We kept living for ourselves and we wanted your blessing and protection. And that's why we ended up in exile. Ezra, a man who prepared his heart to seek God, was blameless. The priest and the scribe, same thing. He's walking right. But when he cries to the God of heaven, the great God who is able to bring the people back to where they're supposed to be, he also cries, God, we and our fathers have been so reckless. We sinned against you, Lord. If you read Ezra, you see that. You had mercy and you brought us back. And then we sinned against you again, God. And you had mercy and brought us back. And then they started intermarrying. Intermarrying with people who worshipped other gods. Ezra said, oh God, if we do this now, on top of everything we've done, what's going to happen to us? Please, one more time, forgive the people who've taken liberties to mingle and be at home with the world, with other gods. God, please forgive us. Nehemiah wept and cried. He was righteous, but he said, we have sinned until we come to understand how deadly and evil and heinous our sins are before God. And we make a thorough examination of it and sweep it out completely. We can never ever be qualified to work for God. That's step number one. But if I treat sin casually, oh well, I lied a little bit. My eyes kind of looked that way. I flirted a little bit. If I don't understand that it's deadly to the soul, as Peter says, my brothers, abstain from fleshly desires, for they war against your souls. Every fleshly desire that I give myself over to with my eyes, my ears, my hands, everything. The Spirit of God says in the book of Peter, they actually turn around with knives against my soul. I'm inviting the enemy to kill me. That's how deadly sin is. If I don't recognize that, it's not just a little white lie or purple lie or brown lie. A lie will take the liar to the lake of fire, it says in Revelation. I have to have a healthy fear and say, Lord, I have to be consecrated to you. How are you going to ever go to, how, how are you ever going to bring a remnant, Lord, in these last days? And how are you ever going to pick me to be part of that move, this last great revival? If I'm still dabbling in things that are evil before you, 
And I keep minimizing it. Why? Because I want to look good. It's the other people that are sinning horribly, God, not me. I have to stop looking at other people and see just how big that log is in my own heart. When Christ comes and says, you are hindering my work from going forward. But God, I'm not a deacon, I'm not a pastor. You're still hindering it. Everybody who's defiling the body of Christ is doing like what happened in the book of Haggai. The whole work and program of God has come to a halt. But when I weep and I break down and I say, Lord, I don't ever, ever, ever again become a stumbling block in your kingdom by my private sin or my thought of hostility against my own brother and sister, bought by the blood of Jesus. I've been jealous, Lord. I've wished evil secretly, smiled on the outside. God, forgive me. That sin is like a cancer. It's stopping the work of God. I want to be the person who God says, this person, there's no deceit in that person. That person is pure and holy. And through that person, I'm going to stir up the remnant like Haggai did by the Spirit of God. And make them enthusiastic about living holy and returning to God's work to build His kingdom. Everybody across this country, this world, in the church of God has those two options only. Either be part of the building up of God's kingdom or become a positive hindrance to the plan of God. In which case we become enemies of God. God says, you work hard, but you have holes in your pockets. You come to the harvest, there's hardly anything. And furthermore, I have come and I'm blowing away all of your increase. God says, I'm responsible. Because you're sick spiritually, and if I let you have a good time with your candy bars, you're going to decay and die. I've got to tell you, you're not healthy. I want you to feel the effects of that ill health. So you can do what? Take steps to become healthy. God is so good. No parent in his or her right mind will tell the child, well, you've been eating Snickers all day for the past 30 days. Day and night. And you're still on the soccer team. You still made the goals. You're still MVP of the year. And when I look at your teeth, it's sparkling. <laughs> Come on. I mean, you think that's ridiculous, but who would do that? What parent would look at the externals and kid or lie to themselves and say, as long as you make the grades, as long as you're a MVP, as long as the coach loves you, the neighbors love you, but internally, the disease is, you know what, is growing. And then, when the dentist says, Mr. Mrs. Parent, I have to take all of your boy's teeth out. Imagine the consternation, the shock. What? And the child says, what? And the dentist says, what? Because you didn't do right. What was his diet like? That's the reason. But the child and worse with the parent just glossed over it and said, it's okay. He's still making the grades. His breath is still smelling good. His teeth are shinier than the neighbors. But the tooth decay is happening all the time. This is a stark picture of the condition of our souls. It's not a sensationalistic sermon so that people can think, oh, that's a nice thing to hear, or that's a 
scary thing to hear and that's something new and maybe I'll dig in a little more in the scriptures no this is life and death we have to say Lord am I decaying in my soul am I actually growing and becoming healthier part of building a kingdom Haggai came and he diagnosed the situation and the people they took the word to heart and what happened in this case thankfully they began to obey it says clearly the people began to fear which means what those years in which the temple was not being built they did not fear the Lord they can say I'm Jewish God brought me out of captivity there's a temple in construction look at my house it's beautiful I have good neighbors I do have loss but it's probably probably bad luck it's the bad weather it's just a season the government says you're going to pass through this not hearing God's word not knowing their souls in the decay but then they heard the word began to fear the Lord God's work began to continue and this is exactly what God wants in our lives to use us to do His will to be part of the solution what God has for us so Haggai says this is how it is with this people and this nation everything they do and everything they offer is defiled by their sin look at what was happening to you before you began to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple when you had hoped for a 20 bushel crop you harvested only 10 when you expected to draw 50 gallons from the wine press you found only 20 I sent blight and mildew and hail to destroy everything you worked so hard to produce even so you refuse to return to me says the Lord think about this 18th day of December the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid think carefully God keeps saying think, 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 think consider, consider, consider stop and consider think hard shut out the other noises sit down before me think what I called you to do whether you did it or not think that first people are not thinking about God they're thinking about other things God says stop and think with all of this again he comes and says I'm going to bless you he says I'm giving you a promise now while the seed is still in the barn you have not yet harvested the grain your grain and your grapevines, fig trees, pomegranates, and olive trees have you not yet produced, have not yet produced their crops. You're, you're just starting. But from this day onward, I will bless you. When God says, I'll bless you, we are blessed. He says, you had a lot of loss, your spiritual decay, my work is halted everything is in bad shape but because now notice I can't take this verse I can't take Haggai chapter 2 and the end of verse 18 and make a plaque out of it to put on my refrigerator or my wall or magnet and say but from this day I will bless you get up one day and say praise God God says from this day He'll bless me there are conditions they feared the Lord and they started to work again. Which meant they had a thorough repentance. Blessing only comes after 
repentance. Never without repentance. On that same day, again he talks to the governor now, December 18th, the Lord sent the second message to Haggai. Tell Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, that I am about to shake and destroy, shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow royal thrones and destroy the power of foreign kingdoms. I will overturn their chariots and riders. The horses will fall and their riders will kill each other. The Persian Empire, defeated by the Grecian Empire, then the Roman Empire, and all the empires, they rise, they fall. God says, but my people, my army, my nation, my kingdom, there's no end to it. Not only can anyone not stop it, it will continue to grow and grow and grow till it takes over every other kingdom. We are on the winning side. God says from this day onward, I will bless you. Are we fulfilling the conditions? Really fearing God and then saying, Lord, I want to put my hand to the task. What you told me to do, I want to do. He says the other nations, don't get discouraged, don't get distracted by anything in this life, and don't delay, don't delay to do what God told you to do. But when that destruction and the shaking happens, God says, but when this happens, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, I will honor you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, I will make you like a signet ring on my finger, says the Lord. For I have chosen you. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. This prophetic book that found the people not doing what they're supposed to do, like many people today in God's house, they were mobilized by the Spirit of God speaking through Haggai, that one message that they heard on that one day in August, they took that one word from God's Spirit to touch the heart of the governor, Zerubbabel, touch the heart of the high priest, the representative of the whole nation, went to those two, and their hearts were moved. We've done wrong. The success that we're seeing in our personal prosperity and the losses and the way we're telling those things we're not understanding that God is behind some of these problems because our hearts departed from doing His work. They recognized, they repented. Then all the people began to be mobilized. They repented. When the people heard, it's written expressly in the Word of God. They feared, then they feared the message from God. And they began to do what? Rebuilt. When they did this, God says, take heart. I'm with you. I will prosper you. And my divine program for the body of Christ, for the kingdom of God, each of you will have a part of it. The other day I was sharing with a brother and sister of Nehemiah that in certain chapters you see that when they started to work, it took one person, the high priest. And Nehemiah came and said how God moved kings uh, uh, the king's heart to let him go free. To go back to Judah to rebuild the wall. He said how God prospered and he moved the king's heart. This foreign king to provide all the wood and all the supplies I need. The high priest was hearing this. During what time? When the 
wall was broken down and the gates were burned. This caused Nehemiah to weep all the way in the palace, hundreds of miles away. And he came, but the point is, the high priest heard the message and he started to work on the wall. Right after he started building, the next person, their family started building the next part of the wall. And the book of Nehemiah catalogs person after person by name who began to build the wall of Israel, of Judah, of Jerusalem. Why? before the Lord who took that alabaster box of perfume broke it expensive as it was lavishly poured it upon the Lord and she wept she loved much because the Lord said she was forgiven much she understood I'm no good but the Lord looked on me he loved me he called me by name and God put her name forever memorialized in the scriptures do you know when the people began to build in Nehemiah's day, every person in the families were mentioned name by name, and they're still here hundreds of years later. We'll be there forever. A people who stopped doing God's will. God is so gracious, He says, come back, and I will also remember that you're the people that came back to me, began to put your hand to the plow, and you worked. During Ezra's day, the people that had a part in it. The people who came back and the people who had a part in it were memorialized. Do you know one day when the books are opened, after our lives are over on this side of eternity, when we stand before God, the good works we've done will be pronounced before the angels of God and the whole universe. That on this day, even though you didn't listen to me, even though you didn't fear me, even though you got discouraged, you got distracted with other things, and you delayed to do what I told you to do. On December such and such, August such and such, you turned. You wept in my presence. Lord, I'm the person. I'm holding your work up by my private sins, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm defiled. I want to consecrate myself to be part of the solution, part of the building of your kingdom. God will bring that out on that day that you had a part in the building of my kingdom. Even though you wanted to be a spectator, and for a long time you're just watching. You got up and you said, Lord, this is your word. I'm not going to ignore your word anymore. I'm going to have a part in the building of your kingdom. God will have that memorialized. Imagine what it would be like. Angels that are so huge. Millions of them. Millions of angels everywhere with their wings. God's throne and we're standing before Him. And He says, on such and such a day, you chose to listen to me. Now you're in my kingdom. And because of you, part of my kingdom was built. Part of it, did you know part of that gate or the walls would not have been built if that family didn't rise up? There would have been a hole in that wall, quite literally. 
God has a task for each of us. First, cleanse yourself. Depart from sorcery and evil, things that defile your imagination, your mind. Cut off friends and relationships that are consistently pulling you back to the world. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do the will of God. Do what God's called you to do. You belong to God's family, not to the world. Make that clear distinction. Tell your neighbors, tell your people. I don't do that anymore because God is displeased with that. What do you mean you don't drink? It's just social drinking. It's just a little sip. You're going to offend Him. He saved it for you. Let man be offended and not your God. Take a step in the right direction. And say, Lord, with my clothing, with my finances, with everything, I'm here to please you, Lord. I want to be part of the army of God, part of the kingdom of God, to build up your kingdom, Lord. I, I don't have time for that. I can't afford to mix with that. That is what qualifies somebody to be part of the remnant. We always hear about the remnant, the exile, the return, the prophets that are contemporaneous with that period, the kings, the governors, the high priests, and how God came with such a good message. Jeremiah 29, 11, everybody knows that. I know the plans I have for you. What's the context of that message? The people who are sinful, who are wicked, who stopped doing God's will. Jeremiah warned them. And when there was indications that they're starting to repent, God came with encouragement. Too often people preach the good verses and leave out the conditions of how God feels and what they're doing, that they need to repent. But once that's the case, what does God say? From this day forward, I will bless you. It's a sobering message from the book of Haggai for me as well as for you. Make your choice. And know this, every time you hear the word of God, and two choices are presented to you, and you choose the right choice, you will grow to be a giant in God's eyes. One who's trustworthy, has character, who will be part of the revival, and your name will be recorded forever as an instrument of God's righteousness. But if you make that choice, I'm going to close my eyes, I'm going to turn a deaf ear. Oh well, now it's time for the rest of Sunday. Woe to you! Because it's God's word that's coming to you. If you don't take action, God will call you to account for that one day. But what a privilege, what a thrill. To say, God, I've clearly heard. I can be part of the problem in your sight, or part of the solution. I've made up my mind. I'm going to discard what you hate, Lord. My heart attitudes, unforgiveness, wickedness, malice, adultery, flirtation with the world. I'm going to burn all that. I belong to God. I'm a holy person. And I'm no longer going to be shy about speaking God's truth. There needs to be a spine, spiritually speaking, and a boldness that somebody sees your other side. God has two sides. One is the gracious gentle side which is showering blessings upon his obedient children. The other is the wrath of the Lamb which it says the islands couldn't even stay there. The mountains just flew away from his presence of indignation. What's going to happen to a human being? Similarly, the person who will be truthful before God and a genuine instrument in his hands will have a fierce side to you. It's not always gentle meek and lowly. That is the foundation, but when the devil comes with some persuasion ever so 
nice, ever so splendid, and ever so lucrative, looks profitable. Immediately you know that's the cobra coming through that person, and you've got to be fierce with that and say, No, I'm not going to skip being in God's house in His presence for that. I'm not going to not do what God says because of this diversion. There has to be an evaluation, there has to be an examination. God, what are you saying? And how can I ever hear God's voice when I'm in deep trouble? If I'm not used to hearing Him day by day, walking with Him. I can end up making a wrong decision that can cost me and other people's souls if I don't train myself to walk with Him in humble obedience every day. These are critical things in the Christian life. If you have a lack and you really can say this afternoon, I really don't know how to hear God. Or I hear Him so faintly. Sometimes I'm confused. God is saying, come closer. But in order for you to come closer to me, you have to let go of so many things. You have to be loyal to me. You have to be angry at sin. Angry at sin. Angry at people who the devil uses to draw you into sin. People... saying through the book of Haggai number one don't be discouraged even if it's been painful life has been hard it seems like you've given everything you've got and you have so much of turmoil still and pain and you're thinking will it ever get resolved these situations God says I'm in control and I'm for you not against you don't be discouraged don't be discouraged. Continue to serve me. Don't be discouraged. Family's falling apart. God said, you keep your eyes upon me. Don't be discouraged. Second, don't get distracted. You may think, I'm not discouraged. But very easily get distracted from God's calling on your life. Remember the calling is called a high calling. Not just any calling. People who become nurses, I've seen the research and people who talk teachers, uh, politicians, musicians, they say, I have a calling. Not necessarily from God. But the believer has a high calling. It's a royal calling to be a royal priesthood. How does a priest get trained? A real priest in the Old Testament. They have certain vows. They don't do the things common people do. Because they have to be holy. We are called to be that way and much more by the blood of Jesus to be holy. So there's a alertness that this doesn't fit my calling. These actions, this socialization here, this doesn't belong to me. I'm called to be consecrated to God. 
in certain words I can't hear or speak or entertain, even if they're not curse words. Certain ideas are worse than profanity because they are meant from the pit of hell to derail us from God's plan for our lives. We have to know who is speaking when any human being speaks or even in your own mind. It's always either God or the devil. Always. Same thing I shared with somebody earlier. That when you read the word of God, you never read it independently. Never. Nobody ever reads the scriptures independently. It's always the devil trying to influence the interpretation, steal the word, pervert it, or God giving it crystal clear like that stream from the throne in Revelation. Pure, exactly as it is. And what is it? Life-giving. We have to know, when you sit down and read the word or hear the word, I pray, I say, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. I don't want to be misled, misunderstand. I need the Spirit of God, the author, to put into me exactly what God's communicated. With that, we can't go wrong. With that, I can know when something's coming to distract me from my calling. What kind of calling do you have? What is it? A high calling. A high calling. I can't live like the world or lukewarm Christians. I have to know I'm consecrated to God. Don't get discouraged. Don't let the devil say, you're no good. Look, you failed and you sinned. And because of you, so many people have become affected and freeze you into discouragement. God says, if you acknowledge that and you're truly sorry, you want things to change, you want to please me and build up other people in my ways, I'm going to erase that. I'm encouraging you. Go to the hills, get the wood, start building. Hallelujah. God cleanses us. He encourages us. He's the greatest encourager. But then He warns us, don't get distracted. Somebody said, I've been doing good all of last month. And all of a sudden I had a thought about, you know what, my finances really need to be dealt with. And I'm really not making what I thought I would or having enough because of this shortage and that. And plus, God wants me to be able to give to people. So, I'm going to do this with that motive. I'm going to do this work or that work because after all, God can use it to bless others. And the devil very conveniently uses that alibi to change our minds into doing what? Cutting back on working in the kingdom of God, in our personal devotions before the Lord, in our examination of ourselves. All of that's all of a sudden in the background. And we begin to coast and think that, you know what? I'm okay and because I did good last month, I'm sure to just make it through this month. No. Every day we have to be vigilant. Am I doing what God told me to do? In that priority, in that order. Building the people's houses in Hangar was not wrong. God wants to prosper us. He says He takes pleasure in the prosperity of His people. He doesn't want to give us broken down things with holes and everything. He's not a cheap God. He's a holy, wonderful Father. Jesus said, you don't have, you should ask. And He said, even the wicked people know how to give good things to their children. How much more you have your Father? But their priorities and focus was wrong at that time. First the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added to you. So the devil can come and begin to work on our minds. He's a master crafty crook who will sit there 
A little scrape on the wall that God set up to protect us. Every day, just a little scrape off it. Before you know it, half the wall is gone. And we're under attack. We have to make sure that wall is intact by guarding jealously and zealously our prayer time with the Lord. Remember at the outset this afternoon, when you pray, remember there's a purpose to the prayer. When you worship, there's a purpose. When you read the word, there's a purpose. When I get up from this activity, I must have gained something, not just some new idea, not just some new understanding, but some change in my inner person where I'm even more mobilized to be holy and consecrated to work and do God's will. Don't get discouraged. Do God's will. Read and pray again like you never did before. Ask God, what's my calling, Lord? How can I edify the church? Sometimes to edify your brother and sister means to keep your mouth closed. To have the wisdom to know that I should not be speaking now. Or even commenting on the heels of something that really is not edifying, you see? To have that restraint and wisdom. And say, Lord, I'm not going to get distracted with the cares of this life with the pleasures of sin for a season. I'm headed for heaven. I'm headed for glory. God has a future still in store for me, even here, where I have a lot of building to do, an integral part in this great revival to come. That's underway, actually. I want to be a part of it. I can't afford to be distracted. I'm a soldier, not a civilian anymore. Third, do not delay what God tells you to do. Very, very important. One is, if the devil can discourage us, it's over. Second is, if he can distract us, it's still over. But if I am not discouraged, but feel charged, that I like this. I want to be God, part of God's army. I want to do great things for God. Oh God, use me. I can't wait to see what you have for me. I'm all for it, Lord. I know I can't have anything to do with this world. I'm ready. But then there's a delay. There's this... Words without a corresponding action in the heart and in the life. That's a deadly halt to the kingdom of God in your lives. What God told me to do, I'm going to be very encouraged to go and do it. Because God said He'd be with me. I repented thoroughly. Second, I'm not going to get distracted that God's priorities rule my day every day from now on. Amen? Every day from now on, in the book of Haggai, incidentally, not just incidentally, but divinely appointed, because I didn't plan to preach on this. He says, this day in August, this day in August, God sent His message to His people. They feared the Lord, and they obeyed, began to build. They had a change of heart, they repented. Lord, I'm not going to delay now, for each of us, God will speak to us and tell us, your Bible reading could be better. How many of us have ever heard that from God? I have. Have you ever heard that from God? You're not reading the way you should. You ever get convicted in your heart? It's not that you're not reading, but it's not up to par with what God wants you to do. And then it could be a prayer life. It's not that you're not praying, but your prayers are shallow and quick. Instead of saying, Lord, I want to look at your face. That's what prayer is. Literally, it's looking at the face of God. And as I look at Him, I get changed. 
But if I'm hurriedly like this, you know, people say hello and bye at the office or on the street. They just pass by, they say hello, but they're not even looking at the face. It's just a formality. But when I care to see God and hear Him, I'm going to say, Lord, no more of this shallow approach. You're worthy of my whole heart, Lord. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5, he says this. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength. He says, when you're gonna, if you're gonna love me, love me with everything you've got. Otherwise, don't plan on loving me because I'm not taking anything less. Because that's real love. He says, love me with your whole being. Now when I approach God like that in prayer, Lord, I love you, and I want to know you. You're my everything. Your word and prayer. And I'm not going to delay to take care of things that you said to take care of. God will begin to work in us. Three other things. These are the negatives that we need to avoid. Don't be discouraged. Don't be distracted. Do not be a person who delays to do what God says for you to do. Very distinct elements there. Not just lumped together. Discouragement has ramifications. Problems associated with it. Distractions. Very dangerous. Delaying. Also dangerous. If I can say this afternoon, hearing God's message, yeah, even as I'm hearing, the Spirit of God is washing me through the Word, and I'm not going to be discouraged. Even if it looks like the house of God is in ruins. Even if nobody in my family seems to be doing right by God and there's a lot of hypocrisy. Oh, I can't stand it. I want to get out of this place. Oh God. In my job, I can't stand it. I want to get out of this place. God says where you are can be heaven on earth for you. Provided you are worshiping me in spirit and in truth right where you are. And you can be trained right there in the midst of problems to be an agent of revival. God wants to do that. Don't be discouraged. Don't get distracted. Don't delay. But also, what do you do? We have to delight ourselves. Find it very pleasing. Look forward to what? Receiving that manna from heaven every day. Say, Lord, I can't live without this. You know, the people were given manna every day during the wilderness journeys. If they didn't have it, they could die. But God provided it. They expected it. And they diligently gathered it. We have to say, this word is given to me, this holy book. The only holy book in the whole world. God's book, the Bible. And it's given to me as a treasure. And I'm going to delight myself in it. I'm going to read more. What a good feeling when you read through Ezra and you finish those chapters, you say, thank God I understand more of what God was speaking to them and to me through Ezra. And you finish Nehemiah and you get more understanding, more fear of God comes into you. And then you go further. You begin to delight and look forward to the Word of God. I want to hear God's Word. 
corporately, but primarily privately, between me and God, in the book, from the book, get the book, the Word of God, and read it. Delight myself, delight. And then drink of God's presence, how? Through worshiping Him in spirit and in truth, and then praying from the heart, with a purpose that after I pray, like Jesus' raiment and His whole being was glistening as He spoke with God on the mountain. I need to have something that's coming to me when I get up from this place. You know what a difference that will make? When you have faith that when you pray, it's not just petitions, I'm looking for answers, but you know, in this area and that area, but the very act of prayer, when I commune with God from my heart, with everything in my heart, there's something that He imparts to me, even before the answers for the petitions come in other areas. I can't miss that. That's the essence that Mary had. It's not just praying for finances and the job and the people and my health. But the very act of prayer is an impartation that God gives me just like Mary had. God says, and that will never be taken away from her. You've got to believe there's a purpose in the transaction when I go to prayer. With that mindset now, when I go expectantly, your prayers are going to be powerful. Your prayers are going to yield dividends that never were seen in your own life. It's going to be a powerful relationship and fellowship. Where now your prayers will move heaven and earth. Drinking of God's presence by spending quality time with Him. With a purpose that when I get up from God's presence, I'm going to come away with some kind of impartation. It's the children's bread. Why do we ignore it? Why are we ignorant of this? Why do we relegate prayer to prayer just like other people in the world pray? It's not a wish or a hope, or even just a petition to God. It's the presence of God. I'm drinking of His presence. Through the Word, the delighting, through the prayer and the worship, I'm drinking of His presence. And finally, we are diligent to do what? Distribute whatever God's given to us. To honor Him and to bless the people of God and the world. There's a focused initiative that I have to take. If I'm going to delight myself in God's manner, look for it and diligently gather it. I have to do the gathering. I have to know the book for myself. I have to eat that and become nourished and built up. I have to go and decide I'm going to spend this time with God. Nobody's going to disturb me. This is too important. Maybe this concerns you this afternoon. That the prayers are too shallow. The time is too sparse. And you don't really feel like God has touched you or spoken to you. God is saying now, return. And I will be with you and bless your efforts when you pray to me. Drink of His presence and say, Lord, I want to be more one with you. And then, with that building up through the manna, with the nourishing through that drink in His presence, I can distribute the gifts that God has given me. The talents and the things He's given me to build His kingdom, to honor Him, and to bless the people of the world. How? Because now I'm consecrated. Now I'm directed by the Holy Spirit. Conversations, 
will be divinely appointed because I'm in tune with God's Spirit. I'm able to know what conversations, even among Christians, are futile and vain. It's like holes in the pocket, nothing coming out substantial for the kingdom of God. I'm responsible to now have due diligence to see how I can edify other people and use the gifts that God has given me to build His kingdom, to be a blessing to the world. Don't be discouraged. Don't get distracted from your high calling. Don't delay to do what God told you to do. Delight yourself truly. Love God's word. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You know, there are times when we can read that in the morning. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, my strength, my redeemer. And feel that. And you examine the day at the end of the day. Your words have not been pleasing to God. They didn't produce fruit. It was almost unthoughtfully carrying on. I have to say, Lord, even if this has been the case, I tend to forget but what I gain in the morning it seems to be lost by the course of the day. God is saying, come back. And I can help you to be more vigilant. Watch and pray. Lest you enter into temptation. Giving into the devil. So, we have so much in our own hands. That instead of thinking, letting go and letting God. I have to say, God has given me everything I need. To put the word to practice drink of His presence by prayer, looking at His face and saying, when I get up from this prayer, God would have touched my soul in a deeper way. Those prayers will become commonplace in your lives. You can be a prophet for God. You can be a person God can count on to be an agent of His great revival. Because you're going to be able to be sanctified and distribute what God has given with the express purpose of building His kingdom, honoring Him, blessing the world. Israel did exactly that. People came, even the Ethiopian unit came from where? Far away to worship in the temple in Jerusalem. Because He came, think of this, because somebody decided, I'm going to build the temple again in Haggai's day. A group of people. There's a temple there in Jerusalem, hundreds of years later. In the book of Acts, the Ethiopian eunuch comes and Philip is dispatched by the Holy Spirit. He intersects, connects the dots, God does. And the man gets born again, gets baptized on his way rejoice. You never know how far your obedience in little things can go to being a blessing to the whole world through you. But don't forget that we have to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Be vigilant and sober. Watch and pray. Always be about the Father's business, day and night. Shall we stand up and pray? Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord. Father, and thank you. Thank you, Lord. And thank you, Lord. And thank you, Lord. Father, thank you, Lord. We have a part in the glory of God. We've been made partakers of the divine nature. I can't afford to miss your will, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, you're so good. You've been so good to me, Lord. You've been so good to me, Lord. With all my failures, you still cared about me. You still told me, come back, let's rebuild. Let's build again. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. You care about every soul. You want every one of us to be faithful, trustworthy, dependable laborers in your vineyard. I thank you for showing us clearly, Lord. We should not lose heart, be discouraged. We should never ever get distracted again from our high calling in God, Christ Jesus. Lord, we should never delay, never delay to do what you told us to do. Rather, Lord, we should delight ourselves much, greatly, more than any other thing in our lives, in the word that comes from the mouth of God. Lord, we should long to drink of the river of life from your presence, from your throne, Lord, to our hearts. A direct flow, clear as crystal. Because we're praying to you with a purpose, knowing who we're talking to, and even beyond our petitions, being transformed in your presence like Mary, Lord. Oh, help us to cherish, oh God, our prayer life. This great privilege you've given us, a gateway to your presence, to talk to you, to worship you, to drink of your pleasure. Finally, Lord, to be diligent to distribute all that you've invested in our lives for your glory, for the good of the people of God, to see what I can do to build the people of God, to build the temple of God, the kingdom of God, to see what resources you've given me and abilities, Lord, that are lying in waste and ruin, useless, to put it to work so that people can get saved. Your house can be beautified. That the Lord will come into His temple, be magnified. Oh, thank you, Lord. You've shown us clearly how people who built the wall in Jerusalem in Nehemiah's day, their names are etched forever in Holy Scripture. Common people like us, family by family, we have a part in your kingdom that you will remember. Oh Lord, you created us to be eternal spiritual beings. Help us Lord to know this life is very short. The greatest thrill and the most awesome things we've experienced are nothing compared to the glory that should be revealed. And you said the latter glory will be greater than the former. Hallelujah. Oh, may your people have a zeal to honor you today through our words, our meditation, our reading of the Word of God, our conversations, Lord, to do your bidding, Lord, to do your good pleasure, that God will come to His temple. The revival will spread mightily, oh my God. And I thank you, Lord, for doing it. Father, I pray, Father, for your people. Those, Lord, who have come to worship you. Those, Lord, who have come to hear your word and have heard it. Those, Lord, who have meant business, Lord, will not delay to do your will, but be diligent to carry it out. Father, give those people your healing, I pray. In the depths of their souls where their wounds heal them, my God. Heal their bodies, O oh Lord. Correct that which is wrong in their very bodies. You are capable. You are able. You are the God who came into a temple and healed the people. Hallelujah. So heal your people in their bodies. And heal the people in their minds, Lord. Whatever thoughts the enemy has brought. Whatever distractions and deviations from the truth. Whatever condemnation, Lord. 
I curse it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that your people may be free to enjoy your presence, Lord. Do your good pleasure. I thank you and praise you, Lord. I thank you, Lord. I pray. As we end, Father, with a song to worship you, Lord, that you bless us mightily. We go forward, Father, from this place to have a different day and to be an integral part of your last revival on this earth. Each one of us soldiers and workmen, dependable by the living God. Thank you, Father, for beautifying us, Lord, in your house. In Jesus' name we praise and thank you. Amen, amen. As you stand there with your eyes closed, take a few moments as call Stanley if he's available to come to close us out in worship song. Reflect on what you heard and you talk to God, knowing that as you talk to God in His holy presence, God is going to do something further for you. Talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I've heard what you said. Lord, this is what I'm going to do. And I thank you for being with me as I perform your will. Continue to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Just a couple of minutes and I pronounce the benediction and we'll pray. Sing. Just in your hearts, pray for a few minutes. Let the word be applied to your hearts. See where God is showing you things are not right. Determine to take action and follow them. Tell him. He will hear you and bless you. Thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Some of you may be praying to the Lord or should pray. Lord, I haven't delighted myself in your man at all. Truth be told, Lord, I've treated it more like sprinkles, Lord, on my own dish, my own choices. There's just a, some seasoning on my own platter. I realize, Lord, your man is my very life. Your word has got to take preeminence in my life. Some of you may be praying, Lord, my prayer life. I never had a purpose that every time I pray I can come away transformed. I want that in my life. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Others of you may be praying or need to pray, Lord. I've been hoarding everything, Lord. It's all about me and my family. Never considering the kingdom of God at large. How I'm supposed to use my resources, my talents for your glory and to bring people to you. Build up the church of God. I've been a hoarder. Help me rather to gather man of God, drink of the rivers of your pleasure in prayer to be a distributor of everything you've given me, Lord, to give it away so others can come to you and be blessed. May God hear another couple of minutes as we pray. Thank you, Lord. Sing one song before standing. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. 
I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Hosanna, blessed be the rock and may the God of my salvation be exalted. Hosanna, blessed be the rock and may the God of my salvation be exalted. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. I will call upon the Lord. Let's sing with all our hearts to God. He's in His temple. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. I will call upon the Lord. Kevin, give me offerings. You can come. I will call upon the Lord. Oh, glory to God. Who is worthy to be praised? So shall I be saved from my enemies. I will call upon the Lord. So Hosanna, blessed be the rock, and may the God of my salvation be exalted. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, and may the God of my salvation be exalted. And may the God of my salvation be exalted. And may the God of my salvation be exalted. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Clap unto the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You're worthy. What a privilege to clap unto the only one who's the Alpha and Omega. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm alive today because of you, God. Hallelujah. I'm alive today because of you, Lord. I will praise the name of my God with my whole being. I will praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. 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 I will bless the name of the Lord. His praise shall continually be on my lips. At all times I bless Him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God in the sweet fellowship of the Holy Ghost, rest and abide with you until we see the Lord Jesus face to face. Amen, amen.